guess why this passage has spoken to me recently. <laughs> Many of you know that I had a hysterectomy a few weeks ago, and I can identify with this woman in a way I never could before in my life. But that's not the part that I'm really going to concentrate on today, her medical condition, but rather what happens later, after she is healed. When I was in the hospital, there, was, there were questions that they asked me on a daily basis. They, questions mostly I won't share. But there was one that they asked over and over and over. Every time they came in my room, they would ask me, how is your pain? How is your pain? And I found that kind of a tough thing to answer because what do you relate it to? What am I supposed to be feeling? But they had this chart. They said, well, look at this chart and tell me, how is your pain? And this is the way the chart went. Zero, pain-free. One, very minor annoyance. Mild aches to some parts of the body. Number two, minor annoyance. Dull aches to some parts of the body. Three, annoying enough to be distracting. Four, can be ignored if you're really involved in your work, but still distracting. Five, can't be ignored for more than 30 minutes. Six, can't be ignored for any length of time, but you can still go to work and participate in social activities. Didn't feel that way. <laughs> Seven, makes it difficult to concentrate, interferes with sleep. You can still function with effort. Eight, Physical activity severely limited. You can read and converse with effort. 
Nine, non-functional for all practical purposes, cannot concentrate. Physical activity halted, panic sets in. Ten, totally non-functional. I have a question for you. How is your pain? Where are you bleeding? There's more than one type of pain. There's physical pain, which comes from illness or from injury. It comes from suffering from something medical. I experienced that as I was in the hospital dealing with things. There's emotional pain, grief, loss, betrayal of a friend, unhappiness with your job, unhappy because you've lost your job, worry about money, worry about children, parents, and other family, fear for what might happen in the future, or just a feeling of delusionment and sadness, feeling inadequate, <clears throat> feeling unloved, feeling alone. Where are you bleeding? How is your pain? And then there's spiritual pain. The feeling that God has turned his back on you. Feeling that you have turned your back on him. Feeling not good enough for him. Feeling guilt, shame, despair, anger, unforgiveness. I chose this passage because it speaks to me personally. And the message in it is one of great encouragement. And I hope that you are encouraged as well today. It was interesting, I, I talked to someone last week and shared with her some of the things that have been going on in my life. And she looked at me and she said, wow, I didn't realize pastors had stuff. <laughs> she said, you deal with all our stuff. And I'm here to tell you, and I think Pastor Steve would agree, it's much easier to deal with your stuff than to deal with my own. It feels good to help you. It doesn't feel so good when I'm the one in pain. I have been dealing with physical things, and there's more that I'm going to share later in the message. I've dealt with emotional pain. I've had bleeding from my heart. I have a son who's facing tough challenges. Some of his own making, some not. And I worry. We've been through economic stress. I think most of us are being impacted by the economy. Well, my husband's income has been affected. We're not immune. And so there's concern about that. I have a brother that I've spoken to probably half a dozen times in the last decade. And he's just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And that brings up all sorts of feelings that I need to deal with. My pain is there. How is your pain? Where are you bleeding? Spiritual pain? This, the last year for me, has been a journey unlike any other I've experienced. And I've deepened in my walk. I've deepened in my faith as I've walked closer with God than I ever have. And this is bleeding in the soul. Praise God, he's there to bring healing. As I talk about the passage, I encourage you to think, where are you bleeding? How is your pain? What do you need from Jesus this morning? 
This passage, when I was looking in the commentaries, I had to laugh because it brought back seminary. I hadn't heard this term since probably my first year of seminary. This passage, because it has the story of Jairus and then the story of the woman and then finishes the story of Jairus, does that bring an image to you when you have the same, different, the same? Can you think of something that you do that with? A sandwich. This, okay, you're going to go back with a term I bet you've never heard most of you before. This is a Markin sandwich. A Markin sandwich. Did you know there was such a thing? I had forgotten about it. You have this story of the woman in the middle to set it and frame it in a way that the message is even more powerful than it would have been otherwise. Jairus is, that story is the two pieces of bread. And we know that he was a synagogue ruler. Now, that doesn't mean he was a rabbi. He was not. He was an elder. So those of you who are elders, he's one of you. In this time, if you were the synagogue ruler, you were a man of great prestige. You were greatly honored, greatly important to the people around you. And he comes to Jesus, he pushes through the crowd, and he says, please, please. He falls at his feet. My little girl is dying. Please come help her. And Jesus gets up and goes with him. He has the crowd around him and they follow. And this is an errand of great importance, wouldn't you agree? This is an important person with an important little girl. And Jesus goes with him. But then this woman comes up from behind and touches him. What do we know about her? She's been bleeding for 12 years. That's a long time. That's a very, very long time. She suffered from the treatment that the doctors did. She spent everything she has. She has nothing. She's sick. She's broke. She's destitute. And we know from the context that in her time, bleeding made her unclean. And it meant that she was to be isolated from everyone around her. She wasn't to be touched. She was completely cut off from those that could support her and a total outcast. In the book of Leviticus, the law that they followed, it says this, When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Anyone who touches her will be unclean. Any bed she lies on while the bleeding continues will be unclean. And anything she sits on will be unclean. Whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean until evening. When she is cleansed from her bleeding... She must count off seven days, and after that, she will be ceremonially clean. No one can touch her. No one can touch anything she touched. Can we imagine what loneliness she must have been feeling? I read a book recently, a couple of years ago, someone gave it to me, called The Year of Living Biblically. And when I came to this passage in Leviticus, I had to smile, and I have to share this with you, because this is a story of a man, and it's a true story, 
who decided that he wanted to experience what it would be like to live according to the laws of the Bible for a year. And you can't do, we're not very good at this, which is good because we don't have to do it. We have grace. Praise God for that. 616 laws in the Old Testament. He wanted to follow them and experiment with them and see what he could learn. He was an agnostic. He was raised as a Jew, but he was agnostic, didn't believe. And so he goes on this journey of experimenting with the different laws, and he decides to do this law, to follow this law. Well, of course, it involved his wife. She wasn't really keen on this whole idea. Imagine how she felt. And so he starts this, okay, I'm following this law now. Her name is Julie. I'm following the law. You'll have to deal with it. You know, I'm not going to touch you. I'm going to, you know, she's unclean. Wives, can you imagine? What would you do? L listen to this story. It says, it's a rule. Oh, he's talking to Julie. He says, none of this, he's just explained it. None of this positive spin appeases Julie. In Leviticus 15.20, it says, everything upon which she lies during her impurity shall be unclean. Everything also upon which she sits shall be unclean. In other words, you shouldn't lie on a bed where a bleeding woman is laying, and you can't sit on a chair where she is sat. It's a rule that no one follows to the letter anymore. But again, I want the ultimate ancient Israelite experience. And it can't hurt to be pure, right? As for not lying on unclean beds, I'm off the hook. Julie and I don't share a bed. Apparently, when I sleep, I thrash around like a beached marlin. So Julie has opted for two twin beds pushed together. The no sitting on impure seats, though, presents more of a challenge. I came home this afternoon and was about to plop down on my official seat. Guys, do you have an official seat in your house? A gray pleather armchair in our living room. I wouldn't do that, says Julie. Why? It's unclean. <laughs> I sat on it. She doesn't even look up from her TV show. Okay, fine, point taken. She doesn't appreciate these impurity laws. I moved to another chair, a black plastic one. Sat in that one too, says Julie, and the ones in the kitchen. And the couch in the office. In preparation for my homecoming, she sat in every chair in the apartment, which I found annoying, but also impressive. I finally settled on Jasper, this is their toddler, Jasper's six-inch high wooden bench, which she had overlooked, where I tap out emails on my power book with my knees up to my chin. <laughs> I don't know why I relate to that story, <laughs> but it's just so fun. For the woman in our story, though, this is no laughing matter. She is bleeding, she is suffering, and she is desperate. Can you relate to her? Where are you bleeding? How is your pain? The word for suffering in the passage is pasco. And I always loved that word in the Greek because it always made me think of Pasco, Washington. And I always wondered who founded that town and whether that was a statement on what it's like to live there. I've never been there, but it's just kind of an interesting word I've never forgotten. 
It's the same word used to describe Jesus' suffering when he goes through the crucifixion and the events ahead of it. The events of being beaten, to be bloodied, and to be shamed. It's a very powerful word in the Greek. This is the way she felt. And in verse 27, it talks about her coming up to him from behind. She couldn't come from the front like Jairus because she couldn't be seen, because she was not supposed to be there. She had to be careful. Literally, she snuck up on him. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. We may think that's a strange concept, but not in those days. And in fact, in the book of Acts, twice, you have miracles happening. In Acts 5, you have Peter's shadow bringing miracles. In Acts 19, Paul, his handkerchiefs and aprons brought healing. And there was just a general belief at the time that the clothes could carry the power within the person. And so it was not a crazy thing, but it was a dangerous thing for her to be doing. She was looking to receive Jesus' power. And the word here, anybody remember the Greek word besides Pastor Steve? For power. We've said it so many times. Dunamis. This is the power of dynamite. Jesus' power. And she wanted that power so she could be healed. She expected a one-way encounter and to be able to sneak away and not have anyone know. Who could blame her? Do you understand? Can you relate with what you are facing, with your pain? Wouldn't it be nice to just kind of have it quietly healed by Christ? So much more comfortable. But you know, when you play with dynamite, be careful. There's a lot of power in it. I understand her desire to be private. I understand it all too well. I love to encourage other people. I'm not very good at letting other people encourage me. It's very difficult to share personal things. So much easier to minister to you. Another part of my journey started in November. And I went to the doctor. You know how you go for your checkup, right? And everything was great, you know, as far as the pretest and everything, all clear. Always has been. It's great. And my doctor looked at me after listening to my heart, and she said, Mary, your heart is beating really fast, and it's really irregular. And I thought, what? There's nothing wrong with my heart. She did all the tests and this or that, and lo and behold, I really do march to the beat of a different drummer. <laughs> I have proof. I can show you the EKG. It is really strange to look at. And the heartbeats are, some of them are regular, and then you'll have a couple together, and then it's just unique. People have reminded me this is a physical manifestation of who I am. But it hasn't all been funny. It's been scary. And they've done all sorts of tests, and they treated me with all sorts of drugs, and they don't work. They don't work on me. Drugs that work on everybody else don't work on me. They had the gall to call me difficult. 
Thank you, Scott. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, been, uh, it's been a journey. You know, I came, I, I talked to the doctor one day, or actually it was a nurse, and she said, you know, Mary, here's the bottom line. Your heart doesn't like being told what to do. What do you think the reaction of the staff was to that one? <laughs> it doesn't like being told what to do. I had a procedure done that was supposed to correct it. It did correct it. It was supposed to last a year. It lasted four days. My heart wanted to beat the way it wanted to beat. And there's no imminent danger. Okay? It's not that. But long-term things are not so positive. And it's been a journey of learning what it is to not be 100%. I had, when I had the procedure done, this is just the sick nature of the people that I've worked with at Good Sam. They brought in, the, the nurse came in at the beginning, and this is a procedure where they, they shock your heart, okay? They, boy, talk about strong measures to make it behave. And the, the nurse came in and he said, I'm so sorry. I said, what? He said the governor did not issue a reprieve. And I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> there's a picture. And then in a few minutes, he brings in this little machine. He wheels it in. He said, Mary, I want to introduce you to Sparky. <laughs> okay. Sparky wasn't enough. I need the healing power of Christ. I need dynamite. I'm a difficult case. Don't forget. It's been a long journey. This woman felt the need for healing. And in verse 29, she is healed. But in verse 30, something surprising happens, and this is what I related to most in, the, in this passage. Jesus says, who touched my clothes? Which I always thought was very cool that he knew. His disciples, what? You have all of these people around? What's the deal? He won't give up until he faces this woman. And for me, the question in my mind when this passage came to me in the last few weeks was, why did Jesus embarrass her? Why did he make her stand up and tell everybody what was going on with her? I have so struggled with sharing what is going on with me. And it's like, Jesus, whom I trust, why did he do this to her? I like to be private. I like being superwoman. I like being thought being invincible. It's fun. It's fun. And there was this thought in my mind, okay, if people find out that I'm not, what then? Then I see pity. Then I feel helpless. I fear that people will reject me. What, what if people appreciate me only for what I do and I can't do it? That's a frightening thought. One of the biggest things that happens every time I share this, I face it. It's so much easier not to think about it. I'm really good at that one. I just don't think about it. And I'm fortunate, there are drugs that I am on. See, I'm on drugs. A lot of excuses there. And 
those drugs keep it under control and keep me safe. But it's still there. And it still affects my life. The surgery I just had came out of testing for the, one, the other one. Talk about God giving me a wake-up call. He's teaching me how to depend on him. And he's teaching me the blessings of depending on other people. So many ways he's shown his care for me. And my faith has never been stronger. Trust is tougher. What if his idea for my journey is different than what I want? Anybody relate to that one? I know it's perfect. I know it's good. But what if it's different than what I want? And so it's been a process of coming to joyful submission, saying, Lord, whatever you want, I'm with you, because I know that you're going to use this. I don't ask him why. But I ask him, how are you using this to glorify you? And what do I need to be doing? Every time I share the journey, it becomes more real. And I risk seeing pity. I risk having people upset or disappointed in me. But God is blessing me. And he's helping me to teach others through sharing. And I've grown. Oh, I've so grown spiritually in all of this. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. The end of this passage, verses 33 and 34, I'll remind you. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When she told Jesus, who else did she tell? The whole crowd. But it was not just her condition she revealed, the bleeding, the suffering, the treatment, the destitution. Remember, she was unclean. She was still unclean for seven days. And she had just touched Jesus. Jesus, by telling her to reveal this, revealed that he too was unclean. This is not a savior who stands back. This is a savior who stands with us. And he teaches her, he shows her, I'm with you. Let them reject you because they're going to need to reject me too. Because I've got you. I'm unclean too. And then the most incredible gift, he calls her daughter. Do you know it's the only time in the Gospels he calls a woman daughter? Did you know that? He makes her so special. He lets the crowd know, this is a daughter of the king. Don't reject her. You reject me. I'm with her. And he says, go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Your faith has made you well. He doesn't say your sins are forgiven. He could have said that, and that was a true thing. 
He puts no blame on her. He doesn't rebuke her for touching him, for stealing the power. He stands in front of this crowd and says, my daughter has awesome faith. Can you imagine what that meant to her? And the words that are there tell us that this healing, in the Greek it tells us, she will never have this problem again. She is free, truly freed. And if she had never shared with him, if she had never shared with the crowd, she wouldn't have had those blessings. If she continued to hide, if she had slunk away, things would have been quite different for her. But instead, he makes her stand up and showers her in blessings. She will have support from that crowd, from those that gather around her in a way that never would have happened. She came seeking his power. He not only gave her that, he gave her his peace. He gave her the gift of people to surround her as his journey continued to Jairus's house. He didn't take the crowd with him. They remained with her. And I like to imagine the support that this woman who had been separated from love for 12 years received. He interrupted his trip to the home of an important synagogue ruler to take care of his daughter. She was important. We are his sons and daughters too. Do you realize that? How is your pain? Where are you bleeding? I've not yet experienced Christ's physical healing of my heart. I still, and at some level always will, march to the beat of a different drummer. But through the last months, there's been emotional healing, there's been spiritual healing, and as I've let my walls fall, I've experienced Christ's compassion, and I've experienced love from others in ways I wouldn't trade for anything. The healing has been complete, and it's been painful. It's been painful at times, but I trust him. Maybe the physical healing will come, maybe not, but I trust him. And I pray that you can also, with whatever it is you're facing. Do you want healing? Do you want peace? Turn to Jesus. Seek to touch him. And then turn to all of us. We're here. Help us to bring peace to you as you walk your journey. I'd like you to listen to a song. There's a video of a song that is on the radio right now. It's pretty well known. But it touched me in such a personal way. First time I heard this song, I was in my car. I had to pull over because the tears started to flow because it was so personal to me. I hope that you are blessed by it, and while it is playing, if I could have the ushers come forward to receive the offering, please.
So you thought you had to keep this up All the work that you do So we think that you're good And we can't believe it's not enough All the walls you built up Are just glass on the outside So let them fall down There's freedom waiting in the sound healing